good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios in Ohio, but coming to you over EWTN, your global Catholic radio network, and it's a great privilege to work with EWTN. This program is, uh, the way that we're operating it now, tends to be an overflow, if you will, from the Journey Home program. Uh, Often the guests on the Journey Home on Monday nights on EWTN share their journey of how the Holy Spirit opened their hearts to the beauty of the church. But, you know, time is quick, and on an hour-long program, you don't always have a time to get into Scripture. So we use the Deep in Scripture program, at, at least of late, to allow the guests from Monday night to talk about some Scriptures that were important to their journey. And that's what we're doing today. I'm privileged to have Caroline Rood with us. She joined us on the Monday night program. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to that Journey Home program, I'm sure you can go to EWTN.com and and find out the schedule because it replays several times during the week. Or you can listen to it on EWTN.com. But Caroline is a former Episcopalian. And Caroline, first of all, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. And we can breathe a sigh of relief, right? The Journey Home is behind us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Quite an experience. And you were very candid in that about the the difficulties of your journey. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the Lord allows things in our life that we sometimes wish he didn't, but but we recognize that's part of the journey. That, it is. That God knows what's best for us in his merciful wisdom. Uh, but for those of you that didn't, didn't hear uh, Monday night, just quickly— that uh, Caroline is a former Episcopalian, um, spent many years searching in various denominations of Christendom, uh, as well as carefully studying other religions. Uh, She was moved to make a prayerful search to find God uh, as her own choice, um, to make sure that she was informed and following correctly with all the other voices in our life that especially she had been through... uh, some real trials in life, both dealing with her family, um, even at times her own emotional health. She struggled with understanding that. But uh, she's been in music all her life. She's uh, been a performer and a teacher, Um, spent many years in dance, primarily ballet, a little performing in the art as well. Uh, She spent most of her adult life in New York City, uh, she says she spent time in a few conservatories, uh, one of which I know of, uh, interlocking up in, in mm-hmm. Michigan. Uh, and she studied and performed in Europe. Um, and it says currently putting together a collection of songs to include in the CD of classical and sacred music. Is that on piano, uh, Caroline? It's or? my singing. Singing. Oh, yes. Okay. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. With another pianist this time. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> That's all good. I, I would like you, though, we won't go through your whole story, but how do you... How do you summarize the, I suppose, the a little bit of the spiritual battle that you went through for many years before your heart and mind were open to the beauty of the Catholic Church? Uh, I mean, it, how do you summarize that, you know, uh, Caroline? I think that that was maybe informative before we get into our study today to let them know a little bit about where you came from. I think that the Lord has always been very jealous over me, that I concentrate on him. I don't think he wanted me to be preoccupied with the outer facades of the church. And I studied a good deal of history. And the ebb and flow uh, of at least the Western world, I mean, which has been informed and formed by, by the church, was very evident to me. And and um, and being in the arts, you can't be in the arts without watching the interplay yeah. between the mm-hmm. church and the arts. It's just so. Um, I would say that he has kept my eye centered on him, and my prayer was always, "I don't care what the truth is, as long as I find it." <laughs> So I, he kept me open 
to whatever it was. I think if I had not become a Catholic, I would have become a Jew <laughs> because I have such instinctive reverence for, for who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that uh, he opened me to Scripture when I was very young and gave me a great gift of a facility in, in putting it together, hearing both the Old and the New Testaments together, and and getting that likeness between the Catholicism, Catholicism and Judaism. There is such a, a marriage there mm-hmm. that struck me that is stronger than in the Protestant church. And I wasn't sure what that was about for whether it was my imagination, you know. But it's obviously not. Um, and I, I think that the more I knew Scripture and studied and took courses um, and studied and prayed and studied and prayed endlessly, that I think one of the things that helped convince me to come into the church is that all of this came alive in Catholicism because of we are rooted in Christ. There is no other church that is the original church that is Christ. And so it gathered together Luther and Henry and mm-hmm. into one. And to me, any truly honest-seeking person, it's just I may be biased, is going to end up here. How, <laughs> if you live long enough. You know, many people say C.S. Lewis you know, was a closet Catholic. Of course, he, he lived a little longer, you know. Yeah, his secretary How, claims that he would Eventually, have come home to the church sure. and lived a bit longer. Yeah, Walter Hooper. But I, I would say, if to to sum it up, I lived out the cross so profoundly before I came to the Catholic Church that when I came in, uh, the amnesia that I suffered for so many years, the Lord began right upon my entrance to the church hmm. to uncover. Hmm. It was miraculous, and He did not permit that to happen until I entered the church. And it all ties in with Scripture, with the church, with, oh, my goodness. I, I, I was preparing for the church all my life, but it's like it couldn't, it couldn't come into being. I couldn't be really born again until I entered this church. And, and, and it, it's such a mysterious amalgam, I can't put it in words. Well, <clears throat> I'm... In the short time that that we've become friends, I, it seems that the arts are such a core part of your being. Music and dance and singing and, and all of that and theater and all it's a very and writing you know, and writing all of that is. Uh, it, it's interesting because as people that study the the mind, you know, there are different parts of the brain and, and different way that we approach things, and I think that your openness to the Catholic Church in many ways, was prepared through your love, through the arts. And you're seeing a bigger picture of things rather than just mere data. Mm-hmm. You know, not mere doctrine or data. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a bigger picture, which is the beauty of the church mm-hmm. uh, in its spiritual as well as material realities. And the other thing that I was reflecting on as I think about your story Monday night when you, when you shared the, the difficult parts of your story uh, – is you had talked about as a very young girl having this very inner sense of the nearness of our Lord Jesus and the guidance of the Spirit that bordered on the meditation that you read about in John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Very much. And those are two of my strongest yeah. and, and friends. You would not have known this as a young girl, but it, it, it really seemed parallel. Uh, the way they describe the spiritual journey in to the way you were describing what you were going through for the good part of your life. And it reminded me recently that, <clears throat> I can't remember where I read it, but it was in a book that had a diagram where on the one side it describes the symptoms of depression and then parallel the descriptions of the dark night of the soul. Oh, there Depression is the modern day language for it's it's because we have departed from the church and from the reality of the Holy Spirit that the devil has helped us to give all these other gobbledygook to something that can only be truly seen through the lens of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what it is. And I was thinking as you described how they 
they put you on drugs and all of that. It's shock treatment. And, and, and when, you're right. And, and when I looked at this diagram, that if you don't understand the realities and the reason that God allows a person like a, like a, a Mother Teresa to go through a dark night, um, if you don't know to see what it is, you're going to treat it with the wrong stuff. Oh, hey. I mean, Freud did no one any favors by writing The Future of an Illusion about the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, and, and that was one of the things I, I meditated on during those those years when I when I had no one to talk to. And I, I thought, you know, I said, you know, Lord, am I sitting here talking to someone who doesn't exist? Am I talking to my subconscious and I don't know it? Am I part of a collective mind here? Um, are we outgrowing as a race our need for a God? You know, all of those questions that, that one asks. Um, and, and the marvelous truth that came out of it all when I would pray and meditate and uh, uh, was – and I felt – the luxury of being able to sit alone with a Lord like that because no one, everybody thought I was whatever it is they chose to think. No one really believed any of it, that it was just who was playing <laughs> games, well, I don't know. But um, I I had the luxury of taking time to be alone with the Lord in like like a, a, a little hermitage and, and have the chance to explore these things and find that at the core of me, I did believe Jesus was Lord and nothing could remove it. Nothing, and I so I talked to him about atheism. Who's this doctor? Why? What is what is this movement? This great? Who's Jung? Who's Freud? Who's what's going on here? And it was like I began to get a sense of Satan, although I didn't have the language that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge lying spirit, a spirit of fraudulence that had taken hold culturally, and where why couldn't people see that it was about God? I walked in there looking for God. Didn't don't you hear me, doc, doctor? You know this is all that this the dark night of the soul. Don't you yeah. see that this is a spiritual journey you're on? Nope, nope. Yeah. And what did what was he afraid of? Yeah, and of course, part of the movement is a lot of answers there. But part of the movement is that if you're going to accept a God, then you also have to accept standards for your life. You have moral issues. You have to be held accountable. Hey, let's not do that. Yeah, you know, truth is relative. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah. And if we can make God <laughs> nothing but an illusion, then so are the moral standards. Absolutely. Yeah, and then the idea that well, if it's rather than recognizing that someone going through a difficult dark night—I I don't want to use that in the in the uh, technical sense in which John of the Cross might, but but in the sense of which. Well, uh, I think you can do that. Well, I mean the. What, what I mean is, I think there are, as John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila talk about the dark night that is the transition between these unique stages between being mm-hmm. a, a beginner and an illuminative mm-hmm. and a proficient mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a perfect. But yet there are other kinds of dark nights we go through that God, in other words, when he pulls back from us a bit, when God pulls back to see if our faith is going to lean on him rather than it's easy when he's right walking with us, carrying us on his shoulders, but when he backs off. The seed in the rocky ground and what happens with, yeah. Yeah, seeing yeah. that. Yeah. And that's what I was saying when I listened to you as you described your life very early in life, the Holy Spirit had planted those seeds, and then you kept having these things happening through you. It's like, who are you going to hold on to? Absolutely. In the midst of all that, in the darkest time when you're in that that one uh Institute where you were there for a year uh, that you talked about. You know, are you going to turn away, or are you going to keep looking for the light of God in the midst of that? And it did. And before we get into the scriptures that you chose, uh, Caroline, I wanted to draw attention to one and ask your reflection on it on Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three, where Paul writes, and I know you like Paul. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In fact, he goes on, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I mean, there's a sense in which that describes a lot of the journey that you've been on for your life. Yes, uh, specifically because 
my parents were such that you know how children will uh, um, consume their parents' needs <laughs> and try as a child in your own innocent way you try to fulfill those needs you have your all your radar are centered on those two folk they are your closest thing to God that you can get and my parents were both extremely needy <laughs> and so I developed that ear and that eye to watching what they needed and how could I best be of comfort what could I do <laughs> and 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 then the, the early yearnings to want to become a disciple so I could, could comfort Jesus <laughs> I wanted to be someone he could count on you know and then I would all my thinking growing up was well what looking at these saints that I so dreamt of becoming um, what would I have to go through so that I'd be able to be a great minister of Christ how could I be of the best service and the answer was suffering there is no getting away from uh, through great tribulation the saints shall enter the kingdom of God and the more honest I was with myself the more I could see that it's not to be avoided I could spend my life running from it and having other problems, such as my father had, or I could face it dead on and have another set of problems. And one was life-giving and the other wasn't. And the only road to take was dead on direct. And and so out of that, I always trusted would come the truth. Because if Christ went through the cross to the resurrection, well, and I was receiving all this gift from the Holy Spirit, what was the answer? What else could there be? And didn't I owe that to him, to give to you or to the next person, um, to someone else in need that began with my father and mother, really, and, and that yearning to help them. And the way you were learning to, to face those struggles was preparing you to help others who faced to- similar struggles. Completely. And, um, I, you know, when you shared in your story about the time that you were attacked by that man, in which you said that even as a little girl, somehow you had been prepared to know that something like that would come and you mm-hmm. were to pray for this man all mm-hmm. the time. And mm-hmm. in the midst of that, I think the thing that most that struck me with that compared to the rest of the journey, which I again see as a challenge for all of us that are listening, is that yet you saw as a result of that, you kept you still kept your eyes on God. You saw in the midst of that a, a, a good thing. You saw good in that. I saw that Jesus died for everyone, and that if I were to neglect that soul, could I sleep at night? Hmm. If if Jesus literally meant he died, who, whoever shall receive him shall be saved. Does that mean you just kind of blank out those over there? Because and and do I say, well, I leave that to the saints, or do I get honest and say, no, that's about your your calling, Caroline? <laughs> so, the more I pondered it, the more I realized, you know, no one grows up asking to become a criminal. You don't grow up wanting. To, what set of circumstances brings a person to such desperation that they will stoop so far beneath themselves? When the Lord created that as a beautiful child. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way I thought and still think. Um, as Mother Teresa says, um, the distressing guise of the poor is found. I lived with, with a woman who inherited Toys R Us for two years. I was her, uh, lived on Park Avenue in her home and was her, her chief cook and, and companion. There was the distressing guise of the poor. Mm-hmm. Beautiful Jewish woman, out of faith. She'd never worked a day in her life, brilliant, had her law degree, lonely, one of the loneliest people you'd ever met. Mm-hmm. And she loved me. And there was the distressing guys of the poor, lonely. She had this yearning toward God and, would, and was thrilled by my faith. And, and, I, and you know, it's this, nothing like living in New York City to give you a cross-section of, of every human being for whom Christ <laughs> died. So if your focus is on the Lord, he's going to open you to the potential beauty in every soul. And his love for who needs him more than those of us who are worst off? <laughs> and I just saw it's not the victim that's worse off. It's, it's the perpetrator of the evil. 
And we never know all the things in a person's life that brought them to that moment oh that led to that. We, we can say, uh, but for the grace of God, go I, and be very grateful in our own lives. I can tell you that I learned uh, not too long ago of Maria Goretti and mm. Alessandro. Yes. And I have asked that Alessandro be the guardian oh, of uh, this fellow. Yes. Because right. there is the story of a man who was in prison with a hard heart, unrepentant for how many years? Mm-hmm. And then he was with her mother at her canonization. Yeah. Now, if that's not yep. the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. You never give up on anyone. No, you don't. Now, this first verse that you chose for us, um, Luke one thirty-seven through 38, is very familiar, though this is, a, I think this is in the Dewey Rames version, so some of our audience may not be familiar with this wording, but it's powerful wording. For, uh, for there is nothing too hard for God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done unto me as thou wilt. Caroline, why is that important to you? <laughs> in 25 words or less. <laughs> I'm hearing your story, and then there you go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Mary has become my mother, and she is second to God alone in command and, and creation, and so she's become next to everything for me. And I, it's important to me because I, I have realized through my Catholicism that she is God's choice for untying the knot of Eve's disobedience. That even as the Lord allowed woman to be the fall, and and we've had quite the bad rep, (laughs) he's allowed woman to give birth to our salvation. And that there is nothing that she has ever said that is as powerful, or to say nothing of more powerful, is that it is the root of why we fell, and it's reverse. It is the root. Be it done unto me as thou wilt. It didn't say especially when it's nice out. Hmm. It didn't say, unless it's too hard. It said, as thou wilt. It's, it's Lord, be thou my circumstance. Be thou my circumstance. Hmm. So, it is... Who else are we? Because if we are not obeying the Lord, then we're experiencing that terrible death of separating ourselves from him. And and the the constant back and forth, back and forth, uh, it's it's a part of the process of our lives through to our last breath to to accept this our need, our intrinsic need to learn to obey divine love. To become divine love is to obey or to obey is to become. And be Alter Christi, Padre Pio talks about mm-hmm. Be so ultra Christy that you don't leave people with any choice. I love that when he says that. Um, well, we have this, uh, I think, misunderstanding that, let's say many people do, where, okay, here I am, and I can choose to be with God or not. As if we begin in that situation apart from God, and we're choosing to be with him or not with him. And the problem with that is that, in fact, creation begins with us with God. If we're not with God, we've chosen away from him. You see what I'm saying? Oh, sure. We really need to recognize that, no, our normal, normal relationship is not in a position where we're trying to decide one or the other. Our normal relationship is with him. him. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's where we begin the book of of Scripture begins with He as the source of everything. And as I think about your story, one of the blessings that I think you had is a very early life. In the midst of turmoil, though, the Lord very early let you know that you were His. And that's what sustained you through so much of your life in the midst of turmoil. As a young girl, already you're, I want to be yours, Jesus. In boot camp. <laughs> I want to be yours. Whatever what you want me to be, I want to be yours. Yeah. Oops, there's that music. Let's pause for a little bit, okay. Caroline, and we'll pick up on there, um, especially with your love for Our Lady and how she's a model for you, and especially her willingness to totally sacrifice her life for her son and for our salvation. You're listening to Deep in Scripture on EWTN. We're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International. I'm your host, and we're going to be back in just a moment. So stay tuned. 
Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your wings today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Caroline Rood, a former Episcopalian. And uh, we're reflecting on Mary's uh, uh, fiat, her willingness to totally give herself to God. And as you said, uh, Caroline, uh, she wasn't setting um, conditions on her willingness to follow the, the angel. She said, as thou wilt, as thou wilt. Um, and you had mentioned during the break, you wanted to mention something more about uh, us recognizing that, that you know, we're born into original sin. It's not our fault. So we don't hold each other accountable for that. Nor does God. Nor does God. That's, we're, not, we're not condemned for that. But through baptism, we do need to be freed from that. We still... If you know if someone's separated from God, the, the effect of original sin does affect us, even though we're not guilty of that. But it affects us, so we need to be free from that through baptism. I mean, that's the beauty of being able to start over through baptism and the sacraments. But if we stand before God and we're going to be condemned, it's for our choices that we make in His direction or not. We do that. And my comment earlier was that um, almost an arrogance. Uh, I remember the old bumper stickers, I found it, bumper stickers. But the the problem with that little phrase, I found it, it, the the operative word is I did it. It found you. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's it. God God seeks you. Yeah. The hound of heaven seeks you. Yeah. (laughs) We're found. That's the humility. We're found. Um, We're chased, where he chases us. Right. You had chosen another passage to make sure I get gabbing too much. We don't get our scriptures done. Luke fourteen seven through 11. Let me read this, and then when I'm done, Caroline, explain to the audience why this particular verse was important to you. Uh, Jesus noticed that some of the guests were choosing the best places, so he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best place. It could happen that someone... More important than you has been invited, and your host, who invited both of you, would have to come and say to you, hey, let him or her have this place. Then you would be embarrassed and have to sit in the lowest place. Instead, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that your host will come to you and say, come up, my friend, to a better place. This will bring you honor in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves shall be humbled, and those who humble themselves shall be exalted. That's quite a passage. Yes. Uh, I chose it because it is 
the theme of, of the scriptures that I chose is, is on obedience. The word is scary for a lot of people. And really, love is obedience. Love. To love is to obey. And it's not a set of rules. Um, and the Lord is not over our shoulders, do this or else. It is essentially do this or else. <laughs> it is love or perish. Yeah. But love is the fulfillment of all that we are. So to obey is the most wonderful thing in the world. <laughs> and, and that's not really taught properly. So we look at Mary the lowly, who stayed in the lowest place. What does her Magnificat say? It says, um, he shall scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts, and the mighty he yeah. shall bring down from their seats. And now she knew she was able to say, without exalting herself, I am the servant of the Lord. The Lord has done great things to me, for me. All generations shall call me blessed. Well, she was immaculately conceived, so she wasn't She wasn't uh, stroking herself there. She wasn't exalting herself. She was stating a truth. And so she's a safe model. And what did Mary do? Was she, did she ever go out of place? Did she ever exalt herself? She spent her whole life and still spends all her time referring to Jesus. That's all she, you say Mary and she says Jesus. You know, she's there to open. She's not jealous to keep us to herself. She is there as, as, as a lightning conduit to Christ, you know. And um, so when I grew up as an artist, it became evident to me that at least in the realm of uh, Broadway, Hollywood, Lincoln Center, all of that, there was such a scramble for the highest and the best place, to be the king, to be the queen, to be the best, to be the richest, to be famous. America is, it has a fame craze. We, it's, we're addicted to fame yeah. and money, and people will not obey. No, i gotta, I got to got to get this. And what does Satan say? He says, bow to me and I will give you all these things. That's exactly what he does and that's exactly where we go. Are we doing this? You know? You know, this this parable is, I love it for lots of reasons. But if Jesus is the person inviting us to the wedding feast. Well, that's the whole point. So I, what you learn is... Mary, I'm going to sit right with you in this lowest place, and if he's inviting me to the wedding feast, I want him to make me ready. I want to learn I won't move, I won't budge until he's prepared that part of me to rise higher. He invites us forward. Yes. You hit the target right there. And I love to think about the awkward position we put Jesus in when we choose the front seat before we're ready. Because he's dealing with... All levels of people of pride, our Lord, loves every one of us. But all levels of pride and ego and all the different levels. And so here we are, we come in and we take the front seat. And then here comes somebody else that really, in our culture, should have that front seat. And we put Jesus in an awkward situation. Absolutely, He's got to say, uh, do you see what the situation is? But when we choose humility, it gives we give him, him the freedom. Yes. But it gives him the freedom to respond to us. He can still deal with that person with pride, but he, he's allowed us. As long us, as it's not me. It isn't. You're right. You see what I'm saying? That, that we've allowed him to continue Absol- to deal with that issue. Absolutely. And that, without us getting in the way, and we're willing to take. Whatever you want, Jesus. I'll tell Whatever you, you want. tell you one of the things that helped me. By the way, there's a proverb that I write out and I put in front of me whenever I work on my music. Or <laughs> it's it's a great proverb. It says, um, "Go not hastily forth to strive with thy neighbor, lest you know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor has put thee to shame." <laughs> Same. Yep. And and so let's for, for instance studying ballet. I would always dance with Jesus, but I would notice that in this particular discipline, a lot of people get out there and they have injuries because they want to get on point too soon. And each increment of the building of your body at the bar is absolutely essential to being able to go on point. And so I took delight in kind of always being a beginner, like we're always spiritual beginners. Yeah, I'm not, I've never been able to get on point. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> at least you're on point. <laughs> so, if the so, audience knows, that's when the, the ballerina's up on her tiptoes. Right, right. If I can hardly get up off a flat foot. <laughs> <laughs> so if I will stay with Jesus and be patient, 
Never mind trying to get out there and be the star and get all the applause. That's not the point. The point is that this art is a gift of God and it glorifies him. It's it's to dance unto the Lord and everything is unto the Lord. So if I let him in my interior build that, then in due season, when he's prepared me, then I can rise. But we want, you know, this is a nation of instant coffee, instant success, instant marriage. And if you don't like it, go get another one. You know, Mercedes this year, let's get the next model next year. Oh, got to have that. We're clamoring, clamoring. And where is our sense of the true value of anything? And the end of it is always disaster. One of my, uh, one of the songs that haunts me from the the musical uh, Phantom of the opera, the one of the songs is the prima Dream. donna. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a lot of them in there that yeah, this really yeah. do. But the one I think about right now is prima donna, and that's you know that's where the the other singer, the one that's the big prima donna, is singing, and they're singing with her prima donna. You know, this whole thing about her, and it's making fun of her, mm-hmm. making fun of her pride and her ego and mm-hmm. her arrogance, mm-hmm. and she's singing along, and she doesn't. She get doesn't it. get it. She yeah. does not. <laughs> see it. Yeah, yeah. Those are the people that choose the front seat yeah. and their arrogance is so obvious, but they don't, they don't see, see it. it themselves. Yeah. And that's when we have to turn to our Lord and say, help me see my it's, own arrogance. Oh, it's such a great problem. I mean, it would be easy for me. Now, one of the things that I deal with always to having to humble myself before the Lord is that my life is one of those very dramatic stories. <laughs> and it could be a hot seller. You know what I mean? <laughs> I could be. Uh, I could get so stuck on the story of my life. I could. I could never get over it. But let me do say that still gets us back to that passage I read in, read in Second Corinthians because sometimes the comfort we received is for us to share. Oh, it always people always. can learn from our stories. We just have to make. No, sure No, it's that, a matter of my attitude. That's right, what I'm exa- trying to say. And I, agree, I no, you're saying it well. Yeah, I'm just kind of chiming in that. Yeah, it's not. You don't put it away, but it it's a difference between using the Lord and being used of Him. Yeah. You know, when you're in that state of, Lord, make me humble enough to be used of you, but help me not to just take what I want and leave the rest. You know, this is your gift to me. I'm not doing you any favors. You know, um, we're going to let's take another break, Caroline. Okay. I know they're, they're they give me the high sign in there because I yeah, one more verse I want to make sure we get to. Yeah. In Matthew, that I think would be a good way to wrap this all up and the importance of it. So let's take a break and then we'll come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Our guest today is Caroline Rood, and you're hearing us on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and, and Caroline Rude and I have been having a great time conversing even between the breaks here, uh, partially about the fact that there's just never enough time to go in all the details, not just so much of our story, but about what the Lord in His mercy has done in our lives uh, that we don't deserve, and why me, Lord? It's like, again, that statement, but for the grace of God go I. We can look at the lives of other people, or like the man that you talked about that attacked you, but for the grace of God, you know. And, and we need that attitude. You know, the prima donnas in life think it's themselves. They've got themselves to the top. You know, all these gifts are what they are. And, and even that is the poor man who attacked me. They are poor. That is another one of the distressing guises of the poor because they don't know and they don't dare know. A person like that is so terrified of what's really inside that they've got to build this outer shell in order to be someone. And um, how great is that darkness? And 
their poorly formed conscience has a misunderstanding of what what someone is. Mm -hmm. He's trying to be someone, but the someone that he's striving to be is counterfeit. Is counterfeit. Yeah. And it's empty. Yeah, that's all the uh, devil can give us. And that's partially why in that what drove him, you know, those that want to, want to rape someone, they're being driven by emotion and emotion, and then it happens and it's all gone. Got to do it again. They move on. Yeah. Because yeah. they want to get that What same. was that? I didn't get it. Yeah. You know? It's more about anger than... Yeah. Well, again, there's it's another, another, topic. another program topic. Uh, yeah. I want to make sure we get to... Because you had chosen one other passage, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, 21 through 23. Familiar passage, but let me read it for the audience. Enter in through the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be who go in thereat. How narrow is the gate and straight the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven, this one shall enter into heaven." Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils in thy name and done many miracles in thy name? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. We live in an age where Satan is so active. Notwithstanding, he's never inactive. But there are ages that are more corrupt than others. And this is the time of the disintegration of the Judeo-Christian ethic. We are falling apart here. And New Age has taken hold. We all know about New Age philosophies. And there is... And let me throw into that before you go on, just to confirm that, that I've had many people don't say, well, how could this be? A worse age. I mean, look at last century. I mean, more people were killed. You've got World War One and World War Two and all of that. But one of the biggest differences, I can't remember who pointed this out recently. Might have been on my program, but uh, someone. But that one thing is so major different now than was a hundred years ago is that we might have been in a World War One, but the family was intact. Relationships yeah, were you. intact. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we weren't killing by the millions. Yeah. Babies. Babies. I mean, there we are today. Maybe we don't have the war going on now like it was in World it's, War One. It's or the two, new Holocaust. It's it's pervasive. Plus, I have a family relative who I found out fairly recently has my niece has married another woman, and they have just adopted. It. I, I, yeah. This is just a total, and then and the new age is very much a part of this because in yeah. the. And so let's, I don't, we yeah. have a little time. But that narrow gate in that straight way, yeah. I think there's a great deal of people who simply won't go to the church because of these statements. Don't, it's like, oh, that was then, but Jesus, you know, is going to change his mind. He didn't really mean it. Is that not devastating? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And as I read this and study it and pray over it, we can prophesy in his name. De- the devil prophesies in his name and cast out devils in thy name. Well, I've been cast out with Jesus in his own name by people who thought they were <laughs> getting rid of the devil and they were getting rid of Christ uh, and done many miracles in that. The devil does miracles every day. Yeah. Um, and then I will pray. Can you imagine coming to that day? Can you imagine being found amongst these people? It is terrifying. And in in my own walk with the Lord and in needing to be constantly humbled and kept humble, I've had to accept that the straight gate for me, the the parameters are that, that means that my eye has to be on Jesus, even if I know Marcus Grodi is going to go astray. I cannot, because I feel sorry for you, leave the Lord to make you feel better and say I'm only human too. I've got got to stay steady on. And... I couldn't agree with you more on that. And when you look at this passage that you just read, for example, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, All right. right. Now, that I just read from the Gospel of Matthew, which is a part of the canon of Scripture. All right. How can we make sure? When what's the problem there? People in this passage think they know God, but they don't. They think they know what's true, and they don't no. quite. 
They may be saying the right words, but Absolutely. the way they've been formed right. is not accurate. That's right. So how can you know? Well, that's one of the reasons on the Journey Home Program, Deep in Scripture, Coming Home Network, is that we want people to come home to the church that Christ established so that you can know our Lord with great assurance so that when you stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, you know him. I think that this key key to knowing him is is a neglected sacrament, and that's the sacrament of reconciliation. Yes. The more I am there, the more I will open up, the more I will let the Lord, uh, well, what does uh, Liguri say? You know, destroy anything in me that's standing in your way. I cannot bear to have any speck of me that you abhor. He knew he was a sinner by nature. I mean— yeah. So well he knew, and 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 uh, uh, De, uh, De the same, yeah. um, all of them. So the more I will take advantage of that sacrament, then the more I give him an opportunity to give me grace, to add graces to my life. The more you see the darkness and confess it, then he can wash it away and give you the light. But if you're out there trying to be that someone, oh, I don't need to go to confession. That's for I go every week. I go twice a week, and if I, if I have to. <laughs> Um, and then you can come to know him. You're letting him in. Die if you die. I live and yet not I but Christ, says Paul. In dying we live. Uh, if we find our lives, we shall lose them. If we lose that proud life, the more we can get to that sacrament, then the more when we go to the Eucharist, we are, Jesus becomes our life. And that is the assurance you're talking about. When you begin to know him, you know him. You don't make a mistake there. In fact, when you look at this paragraph, it's almost as if if you really knew the Lord the way he intends us to, which is involved with obedience and humility and and recognizing that apart from him we can do nothing. We are nothing. Everything we have is from him. We recognize that his death on the cross, which is why Catholics have a crucifix. Is not because we don't believe in the resurrection. It's because it reminds us of what he did. We need that every day. <laughs> it's a reminder. It's a visible, visual reminder so that we're just not remembering, using our memory. We're using our eyes and our hands to all of our senses to remind us of what Christ did for us. If we truly knew the Lord, this is going to be wild. I'm trying to think which saint said this. I think it was Teresa of Avila that said that she'd be willing to go to hell to save another person. Um, a couple be, of them have said that. Be, I'd be willing to accept hell if I could save another person yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in this case, you know, when the person says, Lord, Lord, and then you're, you're threatened with not getting to heaven, in this passage, the person's coming up with a whole long things why he deserves heaven. If you really wouldn't know the Lord, you wouldn't be coming up with a list of things why you deserve heaven. Mm-hmm. None of us deserves heaven. Mm-hmm. It's totally by his grace. You'll accept. That's what Mary said in the first passage. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. It's, it's you that defines it for me. I think that intrinsic to knowing the Lord also it, in talking about obedience is that learning that love, if God is love, and if we are to be, if you will, melted into God, he's to be to infuse us with himself, then love is obedience. To love is to obey. And the only thing we're losing is something we don't need in the first place. Who wants your lower nature once you find out what it is? Let me die yesterday to get rid of that. I can't stand it. I can't stand that degenerate part of me that loves evil. It's horrifying. But if you're living in it, hey, you love it. (laughs) But once you, you know, once you've tasted Christ... And you know what true love is. If if people could just know that it's release from the wrong kind of suffering. Yes, there's a price on it. But compare the two, the price of enjoying your sin now and ending up destroying yourself to suffering for love now and going to heaven. What? Well, that's the whole book of First John is kind of about that. You know, yeah. that if you, it's a very reflective, meditative book by... The apostle, uh, probably written at a when he was in the fifth, sixth, or seventh castles, you know, of yeah. Teresa. I mean, he's at a level of looking at spirituality. It made me think about this passage that again you had us read about the narrow gate, the straight gate, and it ends with a statement that says, "Few there be that find it." That that has troubled many people throughout the history about this few versus the many that 
obviously it'll go through the gate. But in my view, the point is, is not so much for us to be worried about how many are get in or don't, but it encourages never to presume we've arrived. Absolutely. Through the hour of our death. You know, it, it, we should we must never get to the point where we think we don't have another aspect of our character that doesn't need to be cleaned up and purified and made holy. And it's done by grace. Grace. And there's, there is it. It's all grace. And the minute we start banding about with credit and where this came from and what I did and at least I did and, you know, we're the, the Pharisee saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like, you know, it's yeah. all grace. It's grace that we know good to desire it. It's grace, that little synapse, that mysterious synapse that causes me to reach out and say, yes, it's grace. It's grace. Well, all the passages you've chosen for us, um, you know, be, be it done unto me according to, to thy will, uh, by grace, let me be willing to accept even the lowest place, um, the narrow gate. It's only by your grace that I even find the gate, let alone get through it. Absolutely. Um, and this idea of Lord, Lord, you know, whether I enter into heaven is your will, Lord, not mine. I'm, I'm just, my call is to be focused on you. I mean, to me, I think that's, that's the message that your own journey gives us, Caroline, in following the Lord through the difficult times. Um, and, and it challenges all of us to be willing to obey continually and faithfully. Because the the devil is so extreme. He's, he's allowed so much brilliance in the counterfeit. And it's so easy at certain times to just say, okay, look, at they gave in. I'll give in. Let's leave that to the saints, and I'm just going to pretend I don't hear him there. (laughs) It's so easy to do that, but you lose. You lose. uh, Well, Caroline, thank you for joining us on on Deep in Scripture. And you're having a CD coming out. I didn't know that until I read that here. Uh Is that that on the horizon? It is. It is. I'm just putting together um, some stuff now. Okay. Well, we'll know when it comes, right? You will. Okay, very good. Then I can tell the audience if that... Comes again. I encourage the audience to uh, go look at the Journey Home program with Caroline Rude's testimony. If you didn't see that, and, and please, I, I pray that this has been encouragement to you again, Caroline. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And all of you, uh, I really do believe Caroline's message of the, what the Lord has done in her life is an encouragement to us all to number one recognize that in the midst of suffering, God never leaves us. He's always very close to us. Um, He desires us to keep our eyes on Him because it's only in Him that we have the strength to follow. God bless you. See you next time.